All right, I wanted to uh, kind of give you guys a little bit of an update about what's going on. How many of you put your nose in the fellowship hall and notice we got some things uh, in a renovation state there? Uh, just to let you know, we have taken out the mildew and the bad carpet and about 99% of all the dry rot that was in our uh, ceiling in there. So it's still not carpeted. Uh, but I want you all to know it's safe to go in there. Amen. You don't, uh, now I, I want you, I, I need to let you know something about this that, uh, just so you're aware of some things. We're in the process of using what we know as a public adjuster. And the reason we, we've, we've actually, our contractor hired a public adjuster because our insurance company, the church insurance company, really wasn't going to give us what we uh, have in the contract. They they contested it. Well, we've hired a public adjuster, or I should say our contractor has, and uh, they're, they're making sure that our insurance company fulfills their part of the agreement. And so we've asked them, and so we're going to get a new roof out of this. We're going to get either tile or carpet or whatever we're going to do in the fellowship hall. We're going to get sheetrock in there and, and that. But those things are not going to happen probably for a couple more weeks. It could be even a month or two. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this out to you is that we can still use the fellowship hall even though there's no carpet there. We can still put tables out. We can still use the kitchen. It may not look as pretty and nice as we used to have it, but it's still a functioning room. And so I just want everyone to know that, that if you want to use it for something, we can still use it. I know that we still have those exposed two-by-sixes where the fireplace... We've, we've, removed, we've removed, basically, or we've made the fireplace non-functioning because two reasons. Number one, it leaked very badly. And number two, it was built wrong in the first place, which was causing us some problems. So we, we basically have dismantled it. We put a roof over it. Now, if you went in there this morning, you'll notice there's some water on the floor. Blame me on that. I didn't do a great job of putting some felt over the roof, but it pretty much, it, it is uh, a waterproof in there uh, other than the flood that we came and because I didn't, I, I didn't uh, do a good enough job putting the felt on the roof. That's why we have water in there. But we're, we're, our objective is to make it completely waterproof before we even put carpet back on there. Uh, I, I'm just letting you know that, that we can still use the room. You don't have to be afraid of mildew or, or uh, those other things because we've really removed most all of it out there. And we're really ready to sheetrock. Uh, as soon as the adjuster and public adjuster or insurance company begin to get their heads together, iron the the problems out. And I want you to be praying uh, for this, would you? Uh, we, we need prayer. I do need, I need four strapping, awesome, muscular guys at the end of service today that could help me. I need to remove a temporary wall. It'll take us literally less than a minute to do it. I just need four men that, and by the way, you're not going to get dirty or filthy. I just need your muscle to hold up one end on, on the other. And while two other guys pull these legs out so we can remove a temporary wall. So anybody out there that can help me, 
I could sure use your help. In fact, does anybody out there right now that could help me? Okay, great. Oh, guys, I love you to death. I need you. Just it literally will take 30 seconds. Uh, my, my wife and I... Oh, by the way, next Saturday, yes, our men's breakfast will be a work day. Uh, we've got a ton of things around here to do for as many. We'll have a start with a breakfast at 7.30, between 7.38. We'll eat. We will feed you. And as long as you can help us, we've got gardening to do. We've got weed eating. We've got shrubs to trim. We've got weeds to pull. We've got some post holes to dig. We've got some garages to clean up. And we, we could really use your help. If you can spare us a few hours, that's next Saturday. Amen? Are you with us? <laughs> Praise God. Well, we're, our summertime is starting. I want you to jump with me for a few minutes into John chapter 6. I want to share with you uh, just a few minutes this morning. A very, The Lord laid uh, a series on my heart, and I'm going to be starting on why we believe what we believe. Amen. How many of you are a believer in here? How many of you ever... Now, this has nothing. This question has nothing to do with Christianity. But how many have ever believed in something, only to find out later that you really didn't believe it when you were put into a crisis? You know, uh, I, I I got a lot of things in my head here. I could shoot at you. Maybe it started out with a a, a great marriage, and the marriage didn't last very long because, well, I come to find out, I really didn't believe the guy or the gal, or or maybe you believed in a job, or you were believing. You put your faith. Maybe you bought a dog, and you thought the dog was trainable, only to find out this dog can't learn anything. There's a lot of things we believe in. A lot of things we want to believe in. Uh, we, we live in a very interesting, according to Barna and other researchers, right now in America, we are becoming a very cynical, critical, pessimistic nation. People have become cynical and critical. And I, I want to just kind of tell you, it kind of reminds me back in the Jesus people movement back in the late 60s and the 70s where there was a trend that was going around America. Many of our pop stars and music artists, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, and many of the groups that were back there, really was the voice of the conscience of many young people in our nation. How many of you remember the Jesus people movement? Boy, this is going to date some of us. Praise God. For you brave ones who want to raise your hands. Amen. Well, I was back in those days. I was in high during in our and as we were Christians in that time frame, there was a Jesus people movement that kind of was birthed out of the rebellion and the anarchy and confusion uh, because of many things going on, whether it was in the area of politics, uh, there was the Vietnam War going on, a tremendous uh, a, a re- a response, a negative response against the Vietnam War, but also the American dream. Many of the young, young people during that time was reacting and responding to the American dream that they were raised up under their families during that time. They, they believed in America. They believed in the dream. And the dream was this, 
to get an education, have a great job, buy a nice house with your picket fence and family, have the car you want. But the problem is, it never really satisfied. It never really brought the kind of happiness the younger generation was thinking because many of those young people might have been coming from homes that was having the American dream, but yet there was no love in the house. There was no peace in the home. And so many of young people, they would go to universities and colleges and, and, and there, was a, there was a reaction against what we call was the establishment. Reaction against authority. Reaction against all leadership. Anyone who was in any kind of, of authority, whether it was politics, whether it was in the home, whether it was in state, federal governments, there was a reaction, there was a rebellion in America. And then we had these music groups. Um, uh, I'll never forget uh, the uh, Beatles one time was singing a song uh, about the USSR, you don't know how lucky you are, and things like that. Uh, And they were were actually praising communism and and, communism. socialism in that time it there was there was such a reaction in our nation during the late 60s and 70s because people were losing faith in what they thought would bring happiness it's interesting our nation right now is going full circle it seems like and we've we've gone through a lot of things america today more than ever has lost sight of what they believe in. In fact, our nation has become more of a Gnostic nation. We're, we've become agnostic. In fact, today, not like it used to be, but people are no longer... You ask people about atheism, the rise of atheism, the rise of Gnosticism. Many people don't even know why they're atheists or Gnosticists. They're doing it because all our friends are. But there was a day where people were actually Gnostics or atheists because there was valid values or issues. The, the part of the problem with our belief system, our belief system changes when values break down. How many of you know that you don't believe in something very much when it breaks down? You know, years ago when I bought my very first 1964 Chevrolet Impala, I loved the car. I believed in it. I would have died. I died for that car. I love that car. But one day, all of a sudden, a little red light on started popping up. And I got so tired of the red light in that little red light on my little panel in the car. Used to, it said, check engine. And the problem, though, is I checked the engine and nothing was wrong. And I kept checking the engine. Finally, I went to my dad. I said, Dad, why is this red little dumb light keep popping up? And it would, it would blink. And it would go off and on. Check engine, check engine, check engine. And I got to the point where it irritated me. And my, my dad actually said this. He says, he says Ray, they used to call them idiot lights. Because sometimes those lights would go off just because there was a short in the system. And he says, oh, it's probably nothing. If you looked under the hood... And so I, you know what I did? Ray Galligan did this. And don't ta- shut the tape down on this one. But I actually put a piece of masking tape over the red light. I did. Because I, I got tired of that dumb red light bleeping on me. You know, I didn't believe it anymore. 
Because there was nothing happening. I just stopped believing the red light. Says check engine, check engine. Check. I just I decided to put it out of sight, out of mind, and I went on my merry way. And that I went on for several weeks. Nothing was wrong with that car. It was doing fine. I covered the tape and I thought I was happy. I was going out with my girlfriend and having fun with my friends. All of a sudden, I was on a long trip to Portland, about 16, 15 miles out of Troutdale, Portland. And all of a sudden, in the back of my car, in the rearview mirror was big, bellowing blue smoke. Just, I mean, I looked like a rocket, you know, from Cape Canaveral blowing out. And I turned over and I, I about burned my engine up. I had no idea, and this, I, and I got a, I got a, I thumbed a ride. I actually hitchhiked, went into Troutdale, and I got a tow truck, pulled me in, and the guy looked at me and he says, "What's this tape over the light for?" I said, "Well, it, I, you know, it was, it was bothering me. It was on for weeks, and I didn't know what. I checked the engine." He says, "Are you a mechanic?" I said, "No, I'm not a mechanic," and I was so embarrassed and. You know, I, I just stopped believing the warning signs. Well, today, our, we have a generation today like that. There's warning signs. And people are just choosing not to look at the warning signs. They're just, just it's not there. And uh, I want you to know, we live in a nation in a time, and there's things changing but people, because we don't see things happening right away, they think it's not going to happen. Now, Pastor Ray, you're such a pessimist, right? Now. No, no, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not trying to be a negative individual. But I want you to know the check engine light is warning our nation. It's going on and it's flashing. And you can choose to forget it. You can choose to cover it up. Or you can choose to check the engine, find out, is there something going on here? How many of you know that God gives us a check engine light once in a while? What we believe. I, I thought it was interesting. I did some study on this, just about our, our nation, what we believe in. Interesting, uh, when it comes to just what people believe about Jesus, it says that the vast majority, five things that America believes, at least nine. Two percent of people in America actually believe that Jesus was a real person. Thank God for that. They actually believe he's a real person. Yet there are generations increasingly, number two, uh, less than 50 or 50, only 56 percent of adults and only 48 percent of millennialists believe that Jesus was actually truly God. That's almost one in two. Uh, another one here. Americans are excited about the sinlessness of Jesus. Only 52% believe that, uh, or 52%, 52% believe that Jesus committed sins. And listen to this. Only 24%, that's almost one in four of Americans. This is across the board here, and this is not just a religious only 24% believe that he didn't sin. Now, if, if those statistics hold any merit, what that means is, is they're not going to believe the Bible. In other words, you're not going to believe that there's any power in the gospel. 
If you believe that Jesus committed sin and he had faults in his life, guess what? You're not going to trust anything he says. You won't. You won't believe in the power of what he says when the word of the gospel goes. There's a lot of people today, they really have a lot of... Now, I'm not, I'm not here to condemn anybody because they, they, they don't believe. Because let me tell you where I believe the rise of Gnosticism and atheism comes from. It doesn't come so much from our secular universities, which there's a strong undercurrent that is teaching these kind of things. Atheism and Gnosticism comes right out of our own homes. When the lack of God's love and the lack of values exist in the home, it propagates more unbelief there than it would come from schools or universities. When mom and dad fail to even acknowledge God, or even acknowledge the love of God and, and learn to treat. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times, how many times I've seen young people growing up in churches. And as soon as they're out of the house, they turn their back on God. I said, well, why do you turn your back on God? And they'll say, why not? What do you mean, why not? I never saw any Christianity in my home. There was no love. Not one time did my dad or my mom ever talk about the Lord. Not one time was there. It was faith in money, faith in job, faith in the career, faith in your edge. I, not, I never, never heard anything about love and forgiveness and mercy. I never heard about that. Oh, we went to church. They drug us to church, made us sit in church. I never heard of the love of God. That is the one biggest reason. In fact... I've heard this so many times at surveys taken at youth camps. Why young people today don't serve God? Now, you know, oh, Pastor, are you just blanketed us with condemnation? No, I'm not trying to blanket anybody with condemnation. I know that we as parents, even myself, Ray Galligan with his wife, we have failed. I have failed many times as a father. I have not done everything right. I haven't talked to my wife in the right tone of voice. Uh, in front of my kids. There's times I got very angry with Carol in front of my sons. I, I, I dropped the ball as a father. And I was a pastor. Well, pastor, wow, you, you're a hypocrite. No, no, I wasn't a hypocrite. But what I did was I, I let things get the best of me. But, but here's what I did. And I'm not patting myself on the back about it. But, but I, I had to go back to my sons and I said, guys... I made a huge mistake. I was wrong. I talked to your mother wrong. I, I, I didn't keep my word like I thought I should or should have done. Or I've, I didn't respond to you right. Will you please forgive me? Dad was wrong. I've asked the Lord to help me. And see, when you take ownership of your mistake as parents, do you know that your children will much more respect you as a believer than if you don't do anything at all? Amen. It's important that as parents. See, God, God didn't call us to be perfect parents. There's a reason for that. Now, that's not a license to do what we want and, and to be sloppy and to be ignorant and, and, and to be, be that way. But there's a reason why God allowed you as parents 
to have the imperfections and the problems that we do. It's so that you will take ownership in front of the children will see they will see you own it and they will see you humble yourself, which is so important. Wow, dad humbled himself. He actually said he was wrong. Whoa. That's huge. And that God actually forgave him. Guess what that does to your kids? Wow, when I got problems, when I got weakness, when I got sin, I can run to the throne of grace knowing my heavenly Father will forgive me because he forgave Dad. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen. Not getting a whole lot out of here. I want you to understand, folks, that there, we live in a climate today of perfectionism where people have this fear. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm not the perfect father. I've got to have perfect health, perfect grades. I've got to have that perfect style, that perfect look. I've got to be in perfect popularity with everybody perfect. And you know what we've done to ourselves and what we've done in our schools and our society? We've put people under such pressure and under such measures they will never be able to live up to. So they've just given up. We live in a society today that is so burned out on doing things and they're, try- they're doing it for the wrong reasons and they're trying to find that place of acceptance and value and purpose and, and trying to find that place of how relationships work. We're afraid. We're afraid of talking. We're afraid of communicating. We're afraid of exposure. We're afraid of just being ourselves. And yet the Christian, and and people have this idea of the Christian family as this little perfect family with everything so perfectly in order with the perfect little Bible lesson, the perfect little prayer, and the perfect little church attendance, and the perfect, and that's not what Christianity is at all. That's not Christianity. That's not even reality. And yet people think that that's what it is. No, reality is this, is that we all got problems. We all have issues. We've got some serious weakness. Some of us got some big problems. And yet, here's the thing. When Jesus came to earth and he he brings these 12 motley disciples together, they're cowards, they're liars, they're egotistical, they're proud, self-centered, so selfish, and yet he calls them the world changers of his day. And he says, in you guys, in you 12, as well as the women that followed him, he continually empowered them and, and poured his grace and mercy and faith inside their lives. And it was because of the vision that he put into them, because he believed in them is what transformed their lives. It was not based upon the fact that you better keep these rules or else you're out. So sad. That is not, unfortunately, that's what a lot of ministries today are doing. They're, they're preaching rules and commandments and certain expectations and standards. And if you don't meet those standards, if you don't meet the dress code, if you don't meet this and if you don't meet that, you're out. And you have disappointed Pastor Ray. I've had people come into New Life Fellowship. I've had them do this. Hey, I hear you're the boss man around here. You're the boss man? And I said, no, I'm not the boss man. Well, you're the bad man who, 
you know, gives out all the orders around here, aren't you? I said, no, that's not me. And they're, they're surprised by that. Because, see, that's their image of what leaders are. is just dishing out orders and just shooting out commands and just making everybody do everything they want them to. That, that's, what, that's, that's why we have a problem with a belief system in America today. We've lost sight of the fact that our Heavenly Father, when He sent His Son Jesus on the earth to bring the message of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom was not a message that was intended to put some kind of a super church structure in place for you just to obey rules, for you to straighten up your life and put your act together and stop your bad habits and start new habits. That was not Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent was to introduce through the message of the kingdom a relationship between a father and a son. And it was a relationship that involved honor. It was a relationship that involved uh, love, acceptance, and honor. Based, not on the basis of what we do or how good we are, but on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. See, we are saved because of what He has done, not what we have done. And it's out of the revelation of His goodness that men are led to repentance. And so we begin to believe. We begin to believe. You know why? You know why? You know where? Do you know why people believe? Where belief starts? Belief starts when people see hope. They don't believe because the rules are hard. They don't believe because they see truth. You would think, well, truth isn't truth. Truth's important. But they don't believe because you have truth. They believe because they sense there's hope. You see, when people sense hope, they start to believe because, you see, you can't just give people truth without grace and without hope. Because if you give them truth, the truth is translated in their mind as a standard that they must reach. That's why you have a lot of people, when they, you ask them to come to Jesus, you know, start doing this is what they internalize they start okay okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna become a christian now all right start smoking stop putting burn the playboy magazines i'll stop going to drugs i'll I'll start going to no no more parties no more fun no more uh any good things that i used to like i'm gonna start getting a suit and tie putting my shirt i will start going to church on sundays i will stop lying stop cheating stop that's what they do they translate truth like that they don't see that jesus paid the price they don't see that jesus died for their sins is has offered the atonement and is even by the power of the holy spirit empowered them to become new creatures in christ where his nature is imparted through what we call water baptism water baptism is the place of demarcation where I say farewell to my old flesh and I embrace a new nature in Christ. 
I'm a new creature in Christ. That waters of baptism. I go down one old way and I come up a brand new way. So my belief system has to, foundation of belief has to be hope. Is there hope? Is there hope for you? you? How many of you like hope? How many of you, if you were ever in, a, in a, an airplane that was going to crash, wouldn't it be great if there was a, a, if the pilot or a stewardess would say, hey guys, we may be going down, but there's hope. Why is there hope? We've got lots of parachutes for you. I'm not kidding. This is what, what happened. I was in Redding, California on a twin-engine commuter plane. We were getting ready to take off one evening. It was dark. It was raining and storming. We're going down the runway. And there, the, when a pilot's going down, there is what they call the point of no return. The guy is full throttle. I don't know if you've ever been in a twin-engine commuter plane, but it's vibrating. It's loud. And we're going down. And all of a sudden, we're about maybe one-third way down the runway, and he throws the props in reverse. And everybody in the plane just lunged forward like this. And you know what I thought of when that thing was over? I said, I am off this plane. Because he stopped the plane and said, we got a little bit of a problem. The the captain comes on and says, we got a little bit of a problem in our right engine, but we'll, we'll take care of it. I'm sitting right in the front row, and I'm telling the stewardess, head steward, I went off this plane now and there was another lady and another lady and they both said yeah we like off too and uh the stewardess said well we're, we're not going back to the gate i said the, the the tarmac will be fine i don't want to get off i i don't care i will walk back she goes in and talks to the captain. The captain comes back and says, Now, I know what happened. is not something we normally do. But I want you to understand. I want you to believe me. Yeah. I want you to believe me. The plane is okay. We, just, we, we, we had a little bit of a vibration because one of our flaps or something, something to do with one of the flaps on the right side was in the wrong position. We excel and we, we had to put the flaps in the right position. It is not a problem. It was a human error on our part. We, we corrected it. We're going back and we're going to do it. Believe me. Well, then I said, Lord... Oh, God. Because he was doing his best. I wanted off that plane. You know, when you're going down a runway and you're about ready to take off, when a pilot comes back and says, believe me, I, mean, I you know, when, when they abort a flight or abort a takeoff, you know, I, I really wanted off. I, I, I don't think you would have thought I was a really brave pastor at that time. I was really scared. I really was. I just said, okay, I'll believe you. And, well, hey, I'm to testify. We made it into San Francisco. Praise God. But, but I want you to know, my belief, what I believed was based upon the, the authority of a man who flies these planes, but he gave me some hope. Here's the point. If we're ever going to see change in people, we have to communicate hope. If you're not communicating hope, number two, vision. If people have no vision of the future, that things are going to really turn out better, they're not going to believe you. And today, we need to give people hope. 
We need to give them a vision. Jesus came to give them a vision. You know what he said? He said, the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and more abundantly. That's vision. I want you to experience vision. How many of you want vision today? Well, that's my message this morning, even though I haven't even got into it, but praise God, there's still hope. <laughs> Amen. I want you to bow your heads. We're done. We're done. I want to just tell you right now, I believe God is going to increase our ability to believe because of hope, because of vision. Some of us have been stuck. Some of us have become afraid to believe because we're unsure. Maybe you've gone through a crisis. You've gone through something and your faith has been shaken. I can't wait to get into John chapter 6 because in John 6 is where I was going this morning. There are three stages where Jesus tests their faith to help them believe. And I'm going to go into that next Sunday. The Lord willing. I know it's Father's Day, but we'll see what happens. But I want, I want us to realize, folks, Jesus comes to empower hope to you. He comes to empower vision. You may feel like, wow, you've been in a plane. Things have been shaken up here. He wants you to stay in the plane. He wants you to stay in the course. Don't get off. Don't, don't abort. Don't, don't give up on what God's doing in your life. Maybe this morning you say, you know, Pastor Ray, I've gone through some things in my life that have really shaken me up. Some people have let me down. I walked through a crisis. I don't know. The future holds. I want to believe again. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to just pray with you. Anyone this morning just say, I, I want to believe again. Okay? Can we all stand to our feet this morning? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Can you just lift your hands? Let's just tell Jesus we love Him this morning. Father, we love You. We thank You for hope. We thank You for vision, Lord. Lord, You've given us a reason to believe. And even when people fail us, when life gives us setbacks and deals us a different deck, Lord, You said that You'd never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, You said that You'd always be there, never cast us out. Lord, today I just, we open up our hearts, we open up our hearts to You and our minds, Lord, to just transform us power of hope Lord we thank you today that you've given us a reason to believe a reason to stay in the race a reason to stay in the marriage a reason not to give up some of us need to forgive others from the past some of us need to let go of things that you can't control learn to trust in the Lord Father we come to trust in you today you're a father 
You're not a God who's afar off. You're a God who's close at hand. So, Lord, today we thank you for your great love and your mercy. We put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug. Bless them in Jesus' name. Have a great day.